Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. I just want to give a shout out to all the moms. How many, I was sitting, I didn't get to see how many are moms here? All right, so this was a year of years for moms. So many of you had to uh, keep your children home, whether you homeschooled them, whether you had to uh, oversee their online learning. Sometimes you had online learners and toddlers, babies, and many of you had to uh, maintain your own jobs at home at the same time. So, so I know you find a way, and we just have a little picture, because I know moms, you always find a way, and so there were all kinds of ways. <laughs> um, so you're just very resourceful and resilient. Um, but uh, all kidding aside, I have another uh, picture I just want to show that I really feel depicts moms, you know. Uh, and this is really true, and it was especially true this year. You make it look easy. You make all you do look easy. So I just want to give you a shout out. Thank you. Thank you. It's a very uh, unthanked job. So this Mother's Day is such a good time to take a step back and, and um, receive those accolades. So we're going to read from Mark chapter 10. But before that, I want to go to the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 1. And I just want to first bring a correlation with the God of the Old Testament and the life and acts of Jesus. Because many times we just see them as two different people, but they are one and the same. And so Jesus was God incarnate. He was God in the flesh. So we were able to really get a good picture, but he was one and the same. Genesis 1 um, when God was punching out creation one step at a time, in verse 26, he said, let us make man in our image. And in the very beginning, we already see the triune God, that it was not just God the Father, it was God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see in the same chapter that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters as he was forming it. So we, Jesus was... God in the flesh. And sometimes we see them differently. And, and um, as I'm sharing this message today, I wanted to make that correlation. We also see that when God created mankind, he created them in his image. And he made us, it says in his image, male and female. So he created us so male and female were both uh, together making the image of God. And that's just so amazing. Um, there are Many things that are the same and many things that are different. When God created us, he created us with some differences that were for the sake of the functions. For instance, you know, women have babies, so there's certain functions, certain characteristics he gave us for that ability to be mothers. And um, because we are all image bearers and together we make up the image of God, there is uh, certain ways God has described himself to really give us a clear picture of who he was, where he used mothers uh, to make that picture. And that's not what the message is all on, but I want to be able to share that with you. But otherwise, Galatians 3 states very clearly that in Christ there is no distinction or inequity between male and female. Every culture establishes their own 
sets of, of um, roles that may differ from culture to culture, but in the scriptures, God has said that we are equal heirs, co-heirs with Christ, and that there is no distinction that he makes between us. And I've, many cultures have actually diminished one uh, one gender over another, and sometimes that is switched up and down. God does not. He considers us equal, and the church has always been known to make sure that they have brought some of the equity to genders that has been missing in cultures, So, because that's the heart of God. Um, so he sees us as his sons and daughters, equal in his eyes. So anyway, while God was creating everything step by step it says every time he stopped he paused he said it is good you know he put the animals stars everything separated the waters made light and day created night and day and every time it says he stopped and said it is good but there was one point when God got around to making Adam and he didn't step back and say it is good but he actually said it says is God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone um, so he created a suitable help for him. That's when he uh, created Eve. I just wanted to share my daughter-in-law's version of that scripture. So I thought it was funny. I was in Seattle uh, just a week or so ago. And um, as we were talking uh, about some of the things that we're trying to get done in the household, Kendra's version of Genesis was God saw man and said, oh boy, he's going to need some help. <laughs> so he created woman. <laughs> All right. Um, so anyway, Jesus, who is one with the Father, was the full representation of God. And God has expressed his image through us all. Now, we're going to just share some of those scriptures, Isaiah 49, 15, because uh, I'm going to talk about the God of compassion. And sometimes um, we have to create an image. And I'm going to create for you many images, as I share today, for, for us to really understand something. And God created images. So in Isaiah 49, 15, it says, Can a mother forget her baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? That's very unlikely. And all of you that know, this is very unlikely. It does happen, but not likely. So, so God says, though she may forget, it is a possibility, as unlikely it is, as it is, I will not forget you. So again, he puts a picture in our head of how he feels towards us. Then again, in Matthew 23, he puts another picture in our head, and I actually have one of those to put up on the slide. It says, in Jesus' lament over um, Israel, so he was about getting, he was about on his way to, to his death, to the cross, and, um, and, and if we could just put up the picture while I read this scripture, uh, this is what he said. He, he lamented over Israel, over Jerusalem, because here he was just wanting to take care of them, wanting to protect them, wanting to cover them, wanting to give them salvation, deliverance, and yet they rejected him. So his lament was, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and stone those who I send to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. And I just stumbled on this picture yesterday. I wasn't even looking for it, and I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's how God feels towards us. And I never even knew what it looked like. I, I, I guess, you know, I didn't even know that was true, but of course it's true. It's in the Bible. But uh, that's what a hen does, and that's what God wanted to do with Israel, with Jerusalem, and they rejected him. So powerful pictures, powerful pictures. God puts in our head 
to make us understand how he feels towards us. And as I've been studying the gospel, it's really hit me strong, some of these characteristics that God expressed through the life of Jesus. How often the scripture said that Jesus was moved with compassion. I would read several times, every time Jesus did something, every time he healed someone, every time he, he responded to someone, it said he was moved with compassion. So when people came to him with needs for healing, with all kinds of ailments, for deliverance, he always responded out of compassion. So his response and the works he did were not to say, here, I'm God, and I'm going to prove to you I'm God. That was not his motivation. His motivation was, I care for you. His motivation was his compassion. He was motivated by compassion and by mercy. So that's why um, they, they, that when it came to whatever they needed, even their moral failures, he always showed mercy. We see that even sinners that were getting stoned by people received mercy and compassion from Jesus. Not only when they asked for it, but even when they didn't ask for it. One story that stood out to me was when he fed the multitude. And it was amazing because they were just there to hear him teach. They came from far. They traveled to hear him. They stayed late to hear him. And then they were about to go home. And, of course, the disciples, they were just kind of spent from the day. Like, let's just get them home. Let's just hurry up and send them on their way. And Jesus instead said, look, they've been here. They have to go home. They won't have a time to eat. They won't have even a place to get something to eat. Let's feed them. So that just showed the understanding that God has for our humanity, seeing our needs and challenges, even when we don't ask. His personal space was always imposed upon. He would be interrupted while eating, interrupted while teaching, interrupted while journeying, interrupted in everything. Even when he was mourning the death of his close cousin John, he would stop when people pressed in on him to respond to their needs. He never denied anyone that asked of him. So uh, we're going to go to, Matt, to um, Matthew chapter, did I say Matthew? Mark chapter 10. And we're going to read that. Starting on verse 46 to 52, it says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus um, okay, so it, I, don't, I don't know whose phone needs to be silenced, but I think we need to include that in the announcements. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, they came to Jericho, and they were gathered together with a large crowd and were leaving the city and they were walking along the road. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped, called him, and, they, and then they called to the blind man, come, come, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. So throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, came to Jesus Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi or teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So we're just going to take a few minutes to unpack this chapter. Um, when this man heard, he knew of Jesus' reputation. He heard he was coming along the road. He didn't see him, but he knew what was happening, so he began to shout. He was trying to get Jesus' attention. He was not shy about getting Jesus' attention. So he started shouting to Jesus. 
And he didn't get a response from Jesus right away. He did get a response, but it was from the people who were telling him, shh. The people who were telling him, don't bother the master. The people that were insinuating that he was not important enough for Jesus to stop for. And so uh, they, they wanted him to just leave Jesus alone, but he shouted all the more. And, and so what we understand in this is that sometimes we need to be aggressive to get a hold of Jesus. How aggressive are we in getting a hold of him in, his life, in our lives? How persistent are we to get what we need to get from him? How unashamed are we to, get whatever, to do whatever it takes to get his attention, especially when people are in the way? So never let someone casually speak in behalf of Jesus to you, especially if they're deterring you from getting what you need. This man did not stop. He kept shouting. He didn't care if he made a spectacle of himself. He just knew what he needed. He knew Jesus had a reputation to heal, and he was not letting this opportunity pass him by. He didn't care what people said. He didn't care what they thought. He just kept shouting. Who knows? It doesn't even say how many times, but he kept shouting until Jesus stopped. He kept shouting until he got Jesus' attention, even though he was asked to be quiet. And so then the same people that were trying to silence him are now encouraging him. It's so amazing how fickled, crowds can be. The same crowd that was praising Jesus on the road to Jerusalem was the same crowd that was shouting crucify him when he was on the cross. And so Jesus is steadfast. Jesus is the same. We need our eyes on him because people will go back and forth. And so now the same person that's telling them to be quiet and shut up is saying, come on, hey, this is great. Jesus is calling you. So Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do? He knew this man was blind. He could see this man was blind, but he wanted this man to articulate his request to God. And so the, and so the blind man answers, answered, I want my sight. And Jesus re granted his request, no surprise. And then he tells the blind man that his faith made him whole, which is also no surprise. And we're going to get into some of those specifics. And then Jesus sent him off on his way, no strings attached. He freely gave. There was no exchange. There was nothing this man had to do to earn or deserve or nothing he had to give back to Jesus for his healing. There's nothing he had to do before and there was nothing he had to do after. Jesus didn't say, okay, now you have to follow me. He told the man, just go on your way. It was the same with the 10 lepers that Jesus healed. They, they, they just, he just gave them what they wanted. There was no ulterior motive in Jesus even to get them to follow him. The only motive was compassion that what they asked for, he loved them and cared for them and did it. And if we can only see Jesus through those eyes. But even though he sent the blind man on his way, the blind man instead was a smart man as well and continued to follow Jesus. So many people get their miracle and then just continue their life. Um, God does not take back those miracles. I used to say, referencing that, that he's not an India giver, but that's not politically correct anymore, so I can't say that. <laughs> Um, see, when we were kids, we used all these expressions we're not allowed to use now. <laughs> Some of you probably never even heard that, right? You never heard that? <laughs> if, you, if you're a certain age, how many have heard that expression? See, you got to be my age. We used it all the time. We call people India givers <laughs> if they gave you something and then wanted it back. Um, <laughs> but that's politically incorrect. Do not use that term. All right. <laughs> so we're going to... We're going to make believe now we're in a triathlon, 
and um, to get the pictures because we're going to go through several hurdles that we need to get through in order to receive what we need from Jesus. So uh, we're in this triathlon. We got to get to the finish. The finish, the goal is to get hold of what we want and what we need from Christ. So the first hurdle that we need to jump is to know that Jesus really cares about us. You need to know that Jesus really cares about you and your situation enough to do something. Remember those powerful images we saw. We think God is too busy. He's the God of the universe, the God of creation. He's watching over all of the world. He's too busy for little me. He's too busy for this little insignificant thing in my life, but he's not. It says that he even has counted the hairs on your head and knows how many they are. So he cares about you. He cares about every little thing and big thing in your life. He cares about the things that don't even correlate to his kingdom. Yes, he wants us to be a part of his big plan and part of his work, but he cares about us regardless. Nothing is too small or insignificant. You, can, you are important and you can bring everything to him. So a second obstacle that we need to overcome in order to get what we need is we must have faith. This is really important. And Jesus made this clear when he spoke to this man because, you see, the man cried out, the man called out, the man pursued Jesus. But when Jesus healed him, he, you know, it didn't say that his power healed him, although that was the source of power. It didn't say um, anything other than Jesus. And Jesus said this every time. Read, I challenge you to read through the Gospel of Mark that has back-to-back -back stories of Jesus' healing. I challenge you to do it this week. And mark every time Jesus healed some, someone or did a miracle what he said. And it's the same thing he said to this man. He said, go, your faith has made you whole. The onus he put right back on him. And he puts the onus back on us. So faith is a very important aspect. It's the power is there. And not only is the power there, the willingness is there. So we have to understand this point one, that first hurdle is to understand God cares about us. God is willing. Um, God is desiring. God is wanting to do things. Faith is important. Faith is a key aspect. So it, it's like... It's like a faucet. It's like the plumbing. You have all the water coming into your house, right? It's coming into the pipes. Why is the water not flooding your house every day? Why is the water not coming? You have to go and move that faucet and turn it on. The water comes. If there was no water, nothing would come on when you turned that faucet. So if there was no real God or his power or his authority or the work of the cross that is the free granting of all that you need, your healing, your salvation, your blessing. If that wasn't there, yes, you wouldn't get it just because you had faith. See, your faith is in something substantiated. Your faith is substantiated. Your faith has to be in, it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just be positive. That's how people in the world today without Christ would want to explain it or they think that works. Look, having a positive attitude is very good and it's very healthy, but having a positive attitude does not work miracles. Having a positive attitude does not make someone walk on the water. Having a positive attitude does not make something impossible possible. And I mean literally impossible. Does not heal, does not grow back a limb, does not open up blind eyes, does not shrink tumors in a body. 
So it's that you're putting your faith in what is real. The same way when you turn on that faucet, that water, that plumbing, it's all there. God's power and God's willingness is there. It's up to us to access it with our faith. So every time Jesus healed, he attributed it to their faith, whether it was healing, finances, or anything you have. It's not about, um, it, it, it's not about something in the natural, but it's about what's beyond the natural. It's about who God is and that God does the impossible. The scripture says that then Jesus said, this may be impossible with man, but it's possible with God. So there are things that are impossible with people, but are possible with God. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's the tiniest seed on earth, the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea and it will happen. That's how powerful your faith is. Your faith coupled with the power and authority of your God and Father is amazing. So we need to learn how to act in faith. This man that was at the roadside, he had faith, and this is one of the signs of his faith, is that while he's sitting there, said he, had, he threw off his cloak. Now this cloak was something he wore that signified he was a beggar, signified he was blind, signified his status. And so when he got up, he immediately, before he got healed, before Jesus healed him, as soon as he was told, come, immediately his faith kicked into action. He threw off his cloak, which signified his blindness and his status as a beggar. And by faith, he went knowing he was going to receive his healing. And so we need to walk in that kind of faith when we come to God, that we know he hears us, that we know he's going to answer us, that he, we know that he has not only the power and ability, but the desire and the willingness. And so he received his healing. If you feel weak in your faith, there's things you can do. It says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, once you have it, it's no longer faith. Once you see it, it's no longer faith. Faith is when you are seeing what's unseen, when you are believing and grasping what is not yet seen. And so we need to walk in that kind of faith when we come to God. And we need to put our faith, that's why it's so important we first understand who he is, how he feels about us, because that makes it so much easier to believe him. It, it would be awfully hard to believe Jesus to do something if you didn't think he cared enough to do it. So we need to understand all these hurdles together that we need to get over. So what you do is just get in the word. I, I'm, I'm just challenging all of you. This week, I want you to read the Gospel of Mark. Just read it. Don't read anything else. Take a pause from whatever you're reading. Hopefully you have some kind of regimen. Just read the Gospel of Mark. It's a short, shorter gospel, but filled with the miracles of Jesus. Underline every time he did a miracle, every time he healed, every time he met the needs. And I guarantee you, especially highlight every time it said he was filled with compassion and every time he said, your faith has made this happen. So the third hurdle to jump in this triathlon is persistence how easily we give up. I saw this picture once, I was trying to find it, I thought I saved it, um, and it was just a, a picture to give you an idea of how important it is not to give up when you may be so close. And they show this man that was digging, and he was digging a tunnel, and he needed to get somewhere, and, and it was a long tunnel he had dug, 
and he was trying to get to some spot that once he got to the spot, it would be, that there was just this open um, area that he was trying to get to. And it showed that he had dug this long tunnel and stopped right here and about two feet out was the breakthrough. But he didn't see it. He just decided to give up. And so never give up, because you never know where that breakthrough is going to come. And we need persistence in our life. Jesus taught a story of persistence when, when he shared the story of the woman, the widow with the unjust judge. And it said this judge was unjust. He didn't care. And we know now we've established God cares about us, and we will establish it more in scriptures that I'm going to read to you. This judge didn't care. This judge wasn't just, wasn't righteous, wasn't doing his job. But he said he gave her what she wanted just because she was so persistent. And imagine how much more that God will give us what we want when he's not like. He's, he's not like this unjust judge. How much more, it says here, it says, how much more will God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Again, we'll see through all these scriptures that there's a correlation of not only faith, of persistence, but of calling out to him, of vocalizing, articulating our request to him. Too many times we think that God should just know what we need and do it, and we have no, no back and forth with him. No, the Bible is filled with scriptures that says, call out to me, call on the Lord, and he will answer. We need to cry out to him. We need to call to him. We need to have prayer lives where we're seeking him. He needs to hear your voice. We cannot assume he's just going to do what we need. He wants us to call on him. So he said, how much more will he bring about justice to those that cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long? No, I tell you, he will promptly carry out justice on their behalf. Nevertheless, he ends it with this, will the Son of Man find faith on earth? How quickly we give up and circumvent God's answers in our life. Do not give up. So hurdle number one is know how God feels towards you. Hurdle number two is have faith. And hurdle number three is have persistence. Do not give up. Hurdle number four um, is that we need to overcome other voices because there will be other voices. There's the voice of the enemy who does not want you to receive from God, who the voice of the enemy would love to condemn you. The voice of the enemy loves to discourage you. Then there's your voice, which is probably the worst. We put ourselves down. We think we're unworthy. We say, oh, God doesn't care. Don't Be careful what comes out of your mouth and what you vocalize. You need to say the truth because that is far from the truth. So our own voice discourages us, and then there's the voice of others. And trust me, there'll be plenty of voices that will discourage you. And we need to overcome those voices. Don't ever let anyone get in your way or quiet you down from getting what you need from God. And remember that people don't always represent him. Those people on the road did not represent Jesus. And trust me, it was not just people. It's the disciples too. You, you know, we think it's just people. The disciples were guilty of this all the time. Earlier in that chapter, in, 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 in Mark chapter 10, people were bringing their kids to Jesus to lay hands on them to bless them. And guess what? And Jesus had no problem. He wanted to. Guess what? The disciples were shooing them away, rebuking them. And when Jesus saw that, he got indignant, it said. 
He was angry. He was upset. They were not representing him. Now, did he, did he say, I'm dumping you guys and getting another set of disciples? No. He was just so patient and long-suffering with all of us. You understand? The long-suffering and patience of God is needed not just for people that come and sit in church, but the people that lead in church. We all need it. We're all in the same boat. We all are fallible. We all make mistakes. We all misrepresent God often in our lives. That's why as much as we receive teaching and we receive strength, the Word of God is our basis. The Word of God is our compass. And the walk in life of Jesus needs to speak to us above every other voice. And sometimes well-meaning people, even church leaders, don't always represent him well. And that's okay. That's okay. That's where we need to understand what the Word of God said, says. I, I remember two instances. One was um, not long after we, hadn't, we had just started the church, um, and we had a friend of ours who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He was given a few months to live. It was bad. It had taken over his body. And uh, we had just been at this conference that really helped us to understand faith to understand, you know, how God's power was still working and wanted to work uh, in our midst. So we were, we, were, we were ready to believe God with him, and he wanted to believe God. He had read the scriptures. He said, I, I, I'm believing God for my healing. The church he went to rebuked him for that and told him, you just need to get your affairs in order and get everything together, and you need to, you know, just accept that this is your fate and die. So he chose not to do that. He actually came and lived with us for months. And he built himself with the word of God to strengthen his faith. I remember it was so hard because we had to look at him every day and see his, his disintegrating body every day. And at the same time, we looked at the scriptures and said, this is what God said. This is who God is. And we stood on that. And so, yes, he's, this was like almost 40 years ago. He's healed with a family, all serving God, all loving God, all in ministry. And so God honors faith and he honors his word. The thing is, this man chose not to listen to those that discouraged him. Now, in the same way, we had another person that we were acquainted with. His sister had come to our church, and he, was, uh, he had been a drug addict. He was in his 20s. He'd given his life to God, been through the whole Teen Challenge program, and, and was clean and, and wanted to be a pastor. He was actually studying to be a pastor, wanted to give his life to ministry, and he was very sick, and they said he was going to die. So we visited him in the hospital, and we said, look, this is what the Word of God says. You don't have to take our word for it. This is what the word of God says. You know, he is not only able, but willing and wants to heal you. You can receive your healing. We'll pray with you and believe God with you. And so he was excited. He was excited. He said, you know, he was ready to believe God. He was ready to move on with his life and see God work in his life. And a few days after we had visited him, a minister visited him um, that he respected highly and told him, you cannot believe that and told him, you just need to understand that this is God's will and fate for you and accept it. And so he chose to believe that. Not only did he choose to believe that, but he became bitter against God because just the thought of this was God's fate for him made him bitter. And so he died a very bitter against God person. But you understand, it wasn't God. That wasn't God who said that. That wasn't God who 
who uh, told him that. That was what he accepted based on the voice that he had heard from someone else. And so it goes both ways. We need to understand. We need to get our eyes on Jesus. The more you read, I love reading over and over and over the Gospels because I just see God pure. I just see God pure. If you just see what Jesus did, what he did, what he said, this is God. This is your God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. So we need to understand this is our God. Read the Gospels over and over and over and over till you understand who Jesus is and know how much he loves you. I love it because, look, the only people Jesus got rough with was the religious people. It was the leaders, the religious leaders. But the average ordinary sinner that they despised was a people that Jesus embraced. And they got mad that the sinners liked him. And they got mad. And, and, and I think about this. It always amazes me. Why were they so comfortable to be around Jesus? Sometimes in our churches we make people uncomfortable because we judge because we make them feel dirty. We make them feel ugly. Jesus didn't do that. He never compromised on his values. But they felt so welcomed, so loved, so accepted. And, and, and many of them turned their lives over to him and were forever grateful. That's our love. You know, when that woman came and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried it with her hair, and people were getting a little uncomfortable, like, this is awkward. And, and, and Jesus said, whoever has been forgiven much loves much. When we remember and realize where we came from and where Jesus has taken us from and what the basis of our salvation and our grace that we stand before him is, that we just love him and love him and we can't stop loving him. So Psalm 86.5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. So we need to call upon him. Again, see, it says abounding in steadfast love to all that, to all that, Wish in their head he would answer them? No, to all that call upon him. We need to learn how to call upon the Lord. You need to learn how to call upon the Lord. Call upon me, he said, and I will show you great and mighty things. We need to call upon him. We need to get a prayer life going. Don't be shy about it. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried who hears you praying. If you're in a small house, don't be afraid who hears you praying. I had a close friend not long after I got saved, and I remember um, she had this apartment with a courtyard and all the other apartment buildings were around, and she prayed loud. But I loved her. She was a powerful prayer warrior. She still uh, pastors with her. Our husband just went on to be with the Lord, but she's still there at their church. They have a church as well. And she would just be praying, and we would spend hours praying together. And I remember one time we were in her apartment, and we were praying, and she was just praying, and we hear this voice from another building, Shut up! <laughs> I'm tired and sick of hearing you! <laughs> and we just were hysterical. I don't care. You can't care, you understand? 
You can't care. I used to love it. We used to have a young man live with us, and he was my alarm clock. He, I was on the second floor. He was in the basement. Every morning I would hear him praying. My neighbors probably heard him praying too. But I loved the sound. I loved the sound. Don't be afraid. If you're in your house, don't be afraid. You don't have to whisper all your prayers. Don't be afraid to pray out loud. Don't be afraid to call out to God. Don't be afraid when you're with other people to pray. Don't be afraid to let your praises be loud in church. Don't be afraid to call out to him. Get in the habit of doing it. Okay, so hurdle number five. I don't know how many minutes I have left but I'm close to the end. Don't let your sin get in the way. Don't give up because of failure. Don't be give up because of your mistakes. Don't give up because of your struggles or what you're stuck in. Know that God is long-suffering. No matter where you are, what you've done, how many times you've fallen or failed, God does not easily give up on you. Trust me, you more easily give up on yourself than God gives up on you. People may give up on you. God does not give up on you. You have to know that it takes a lot for God to give up on you. He doesn't. And even when he does chastise us, he's right there to show us mercy and, and, and compassion. We need to understand that the scripture says if we try to deny that we sin, if we try to deny that we mess up, then that we lie to ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. It says in 1 John, if we claim to have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Sometimes we think we have to put on this image. Drop the images. Be real. Do you know the more real you are, the more real other people can be. The more you're open and honest then the more God can help you because it said whoever conceals his sin doesn't prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces and finds mercy. It was when those two men were in the temple. The one man was just like, oh, God, I do this, I do that, and he was just boasting before the Lord, and the other man was on his face saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one left? Which one left with God's blessing? Which one left with the mercy? Which one left? It was the man who had his face on the floor. It says if we conceal our sins, we don't prosper. If we claim we don't sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us. So know that. It's a walk of always confessing. You're never going to be at a perfect place. We have to face it with ourselves. We have to accept ourselves with our own impurities, accept ourselves with our own failures, accept ourselves that we will mess up, and then we will mess up again, and then we will mess up again, and then we will mess up again, and God is long-suffering. God is patient. God is loving you. God is merciful. God is kind. God is good. He knows your frailty. He knows your frame. He knows your humanity, and he's working with you. So we're going to read some scriptures to close this just to get a really good understanding and picture because this is what God says about himself. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. I don't know if we can get any of these scriptures up. It would be great. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm 35 says, the anger of the Lord is but a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. I like this. Look at the comparison. Moment, lifetime. Moment, seconds. Compare seconds to a lifetime. His anger is seconds. His compassion, his favor is for a lifetime. This is the God you serve. Psalm 103.11 says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love 
towards those who fear him. It's steadfast. It's not up and down. It's not like people. <laughs> that one minute they're with you, the next minute against you, one minute they love you, next minute they're angry with you. God is so steadfast. His love is so steadfast. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God is describing himself. He said, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him. Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion Gracious, long-suffering, and abundant, abundant in mercy and truth. Psalm 145, 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy, slow to anger, great in mercy. See the comparison, slow to anger, great in mercy. Sometimes we think the second we do something wrong, bam. I used to wonder, why didn't lightning strike me yet? Why didn't I get hit by a train? I should have by things I had done after I was serving God. It wasn't because it didn't matter to him. It was because he is slow to anger, great in mercy. It says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, not the anger of God. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. Oh, God, that we would just get there sooner. Because, you see, he only wants to lead us to repentance for our own good. He only wants to lead us to turn over our lives. I remember before I was saved, I had no understanding. I was just this little Catholic girl that left the church and thought, you know, uh, living a good life was probably the most boring thing that could exist. But something, something got a hold of me, and I realized eternity is longer than this life whole lot longer and I wanted my life secure for eternity and I wanted my life right with God so I picked I, I decided I'm going to give my life to God I'm going to and I, I'm going to just put off everything I was doing wrong which seems like everything in my life and I just said all right I'll just be sitting in a rocking chair in my room for the rest of my life isolating myself just so I don't do the wrong thing but then after I gave my life to Christ after he came in it was like wow Wow, why didn't anyone ever tell me how awesome this is? I felt better than any drug I had ever taken. No amount of alcohol or drugs or sex or anything could make you feel this good. God's not looking to rain on your party. He's looking to give you a party in him. And we need to spread that good news to everybody we know. Why? You hold it to yourself. We need to let others know because they too, like me, have the wrong impression of God. They have the wrong picture of what it is to be in his kingdom. And trust me, Christians help give the wrong picture. We have Christians that think they are the, the, the moral compass for the world. They think that they have to tell everybody what's right and wrong. What we need to do is direct people to Jesus. Just keep bringing people to Jesus. Just keep bringing people to Jesus. Nobody had to tell me after that. I just didn't want to do anything. I, like, I was so shocked. I'm like, I was just so shocked. I didn't have to try 
to not do things I used to do I didn't want to. Just being in the presence of God was the best thing that I ever had, just feeling this amazing feeling inside of me. Just knowing that, like, I love the idea like, that I knew if I died the next moment, I was going to be in heaven. Whoever thought that? I thought I was going to stand there and like, this is what you did wrong. This is what you did right. And it was all going to wait out. And, and I was really afraid the weight was going in the wrong direction for me. That's the problem with people that think they're good. That's the problem with self-righteous people is that, that they somehow think that they're going to be accepted by the good things they did. That's not happening. That's why Jesus told the religious leaders that prostitutes are going to be in heaven and you're out. The thieves are going to be in heaven and you're out. We all have to realize that there's nothing we can do. It's like trying to swim from New York to, to England. You could be the best swimmer. You're not going to make it. Only, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Why would he come if you can do it on your own? If only we can get everyone to see this. How many will, if you understand this, raise your hand. If you understand this. If you've received and following Jesus, raise your hand. If you don't know if you're following Jesus or have ever understood this, raise your hand. And if you know it, you need to be spreading it, spreading it, sharing it. Tell someone, tell someone, I thank God someone told me. I thank God someone told me. I thank God someone brought me to church. We're going to close, but if there's anyone here that, that you're not sure, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And if you do know, and if you have given your life to Christ, and I want you to remember this prayer because I want you to pray with somebody else after you tell them this good news. Say, Father, why don't we all say this? Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, to take the punishment of everything I've done wrong and the sins of the entire world. I accept that. I accept your gift of salvation. I receive the forgiveness. I receive your grace. I receive your mercy. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your blessing. I receive your love. Help me to continue to follow you. Amen. 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 We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 on Instagram at reschurchnyc.